Well, good evening, everybody. I got a murmur in response. Hey, there we go. Woo! I am. Uh, it's really funny when the when the seasons change. I find we had that abrupt fall off a cliff. All of a sudden, summer was over uh, at the beginning of the week. I find that for a bit, it it seems like there's a everything's kind of muted. For the, for the first little while. I, f- I find everything kind of dampens a little bit, my personality included, and then it takes a little while to get acclimatized again and to ramp back up. So anyway, I figured that we would run into this, so I, I wanted to start off by telling you a story. So there's this gentleman walking through the woods, and this, this guy doesn't uh, have any sort of religious beliefs. He would call himself an atheist. He's walking through the woods one day, and he's looking around, he's, and there's this babbling brook. It's this beautiful, sunny day, little babbling brook. Birds are chirping. It's just beautiful. And he's thinking, man, this is just a gorgeous day. Walk along this path, and all of a sudden, he hears this rustling in the bushes. And he looks over, and there's this seven-foot grizzly looking at him. And so he screams and, and starts running, and he's tearing through the bushes down this path, and he can hear the bear chasing him down. And so he goes to look back, and what he doesn't see in front of him is this root, and he trips over the root and falls down, and he looks back, and the bear is right over him, and his, pa- his paw goes up. He's about to swipe and get him. And he goes, oh, God, no! And then everything freezes. The bear stops in mid-swipe. The babbling brook stops babbling. The birds stop chirping. And all of a sudden, this light shines down right in his face. And this voice says, well, let me get this straight. You spend your entire life disbelieving me, saying that I don't exist, believing that I don't exist. Not only that, you teach other people that I don't exist. You say that the universe happened by some cosmic accident. And now, in your most dire time of need, you're calling out to me for help. Am I supposed to take this as, as you're now a believer? And the guy pauses and he thinks, yeah, you know, that's pretty hypocritical for me to do that. But okay, here, I have an idea. Christians are nice people, right? Why don't you make the bear a Christian? And then there's a pause. And then out of the light comes the voice and it says, very well. And all of a sudden the light diminishes. All of a sudden, the the brook starts babbling, the birds start chirping, and and the bear, still in mid-swipe, moves its paw slowly down to its other one and says, thank you, Lord, for this food that I'm about to receive. (laughs) I love that. So, things in life happen. Things in life happen to us, either well, to us, or we can see them happening elsewhere, and it can cause us to rethink what we believe. We can start to question these things that we believe. For this guy, he started to doubt his atheism. He started to doubt his atheism. For you, perhaps, maybe one day you might be looking around at all the evil and suffering that you see in the world, and it might start to cause you to doubt or to think about whether or not God is good, or maybe whether or not he exists at all. Or perhaps you might know somebody like that, that is experiencing that. See, this is our introductory message in a new series called Doubt. And we have a video. So I I can say for myself that I'm really, really glad that we're going to be exploring some of these topics 
talking about them, preaching through them, but then wrestling with them out as a community. Because a lot of these issues were same issues that I struggled with before I came to faith. And if I hadn't been given good answers, I likely wouldn't be standing here today. See, yeah, when I was a non-Christian, there was lots of questions that I had, and, and I started to discover that the beliefs that I held about God and about the universe, about the way things were, I was mistaken in the way that I was thinking, or at least I believe that now. And this helped me to build a strong foundation as I sought out answers to these questions. But then as a Christian, after I became a, a believer, but still a rebellious guy who struggles with sin and, and still has issues with walking away from God or at least wanting to uh, pull, have my own self pull me away or different things around me, these hearing things and seeing things can cause my mind to wander. Doubt can rise up in my mind. And these answers have been helpful in keeping me in faith and keeping me in the church. So speaking of the church, uh, and if you're here tonight and, you're, and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus or if you don't consider yourself a part of the church, I'm really, really glad you're here. This series is definitely for you too. Uh, this series is for everybody. But for those of us who say that they follow Jesus, there is a very special challenge that I want to lay down. And that this, or anybody who considers themselves a follower of Jesus should have a handle on these questions have a handle on these topics that we're going to be bringing up. Why? Why do we want to have a handle on it? Because everybody can experience doubt. We're all capable of experiencing doubt, and we can encourage ourselves when we experience doubt by wrestling with, through some of these things. We can encourage other people, other believers, when they're wrestling through doubt, but also we can help change the perception of those who think that what Christians believe is silly. I know sometimes when I say that, people go, well, the people that I know don't think that what Christians believe is silly, or at least I've never had anybody myself like say that to me about my beliefs. And so often I, when I say things like that, I get this look like people think I'm making it up, that, that people would actually think that. So I, I brought some quotes. A uh, couple of things uh, with these quotes, they usually say the word religion, but when they say religion, they often mean Christianity. Uh, they're usually uh, professors or people in the West, and that's typically who they're talking to, but they also... Uh, they'll say they're, they're including everybody, but they have Christians particularly in mind. Uh, the other thing is this first quote, uh, they use the word the, or the term goat herders. And uh, that's, if you look at it, it, often internet chats, uh, Christians are often, or the, the creators or the early Christians are often known as, or called goat herders. And this is supposed to be a pejorative. This is a way of making fun as if, there, it was just created by a bunch of shepherds, uneducated, backwards thinking, and all of that stuff. So, first quote, what does a backwards religion created by a bunch of goat herders have to say about today's world? People ask this sort of question. Uh, this next person, he's, he's a neuroscientist, uh, quite popular, and he, he writes, if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of either rape or religion, I would not hesitate to get rid of religion. So it just goes to show how, how harsh they think that religion can be, that Christianity can be. So other person says, I think religion should be treated with ridicule, hatred and contempt, and I claim that right. So religion itself, but then this next person goes a little bit further and says that Christians, he says, in, if they're in public, should be mocked and ridiculed for what they believe. 
they're held in contempt because it's assumed that what, what Christians believe is silly. This other person says, this world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion. Anything we scientists can do to weaken the hold of religion should be done and may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. And then finally, uh, this is a professor at a university, uh, a very uh, popular university in the United States, and he says, they will see me as just another liberal professor trying to cajole them. So like kind of talk them out of some of their convictions, and they're dead right about that. That's what I am, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. So this is something that we need to be paying attention to, especially if we are planning on going to university. There are people there that are going to be attempting to talk religious people, if you consider yourself a believer in Jesus, out of what you believe. So you can see it's important to engage with doubt, not to try to hide it. Perhaps some stats uh, from a Barna poll. If you're not familiar with Barna, they do these polls and they, they create statistics out of them and often have to do with religious things. And they talk about, about uh, doubt specifically and they talk about its pervasiveness or how many people struggle with it in the church. And they say, uh, questioning what you believe about religion or God is commonplace for most adults who self-identify as Christians. They say 65% of people in the church, so two out of three, experience doubt, struggle with doubt to some shape, form, or another. And then the response that people usually take, according to this poll, among those who either currently or previously experienced spiritual doubt, the most common response for about half of them, about 45%, is to leave the church or worship gatherings. 45% of people that struggle with doubt. Uh, three out of 10, so about 30%, stop reading their Bible, 30% stop praying, and another quarter quit talking with family or friends about spirituality, God, or religion. It says millennials, so that's, I'm like one of the oldest millennials. It's usually people from like 22, 23 to 42-ish is a millennial. Uh, millennials were significantly more likely than other generations to stop doing all of the above, and at rates much higher than the general population. So doubt that's not engaged with that just left there to hang can be very, very destructive. But instead of fearing doubt or needing to hide doubt, we want to sit with it a while. We want to bring it out into the open. We want to talk about it. We want to talk about the things that drive it. Because as much as we can focus on the negative aspects of doubt, as I clearly just was, there is hope. There's very good news in that because many people who make it through or experience doubt on the other end are stronger for having faced their honest questions, especially when they have a community to guide them through it. So we want to stick together is the, is the moral of the story. We want to be there for one another for when people experience this. And most importantly, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm asking you if you experience doubt to talk to God about it. Sometimes we think that God doesn't want to hear our doubts, that that's somehow being unspiritual, is to, to talk to God in that way. And if you don't consider yourself a believer, I want to encourage you to do the same thing, to talk to him, because this is what God wants us to do, is God wants us to come to him for everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And so that's why I'm glad we're starting off our series in Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a lament psalm. 
one-third of all psalms, about 50 of them, would be considered lament psalms. So if you have your Bibles here tonight or your phones, tablets, however you want to, to read it, or it also will be on the screen, and I'm going to say it so you can, you can have it whichever way you like. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation tonight. And as I said, this is a sermon of lament that's going to be talking about lament. And lament is an interesting thing because it's an often misunderstood and avoided aspect of our prayer life, of our life with God. Because when we ignore or, or don't engage in lament, we miss out on some things because it doesn't take into consideration our humanity. And the fact that we don't know everything and the fact that we do go through these struggles. And this is one of the ways that we're able to wrestle with this. Because if we don't participate, it either ignores or doesn't walk through thoroughly the tough things that we can go through. Like the loss of a loved one. Or an unanswered prayer. Or some of the, the confusion that we can have when we look around the world and not experience or see things the way we believe that they should be. This is all the domain of lament. And this is where we can express anger and sadness before God and to God. God's got big shoulders. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to come to him. So I'm going to just read through the passage quick. So I shouldn't say quick. I'm just going to read through the passage and then we'll walk back through it. Psalm 13. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I will trust in your unfailing love, and I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So as we read through that, we can see that David went on a, on a journey he started in one place, but he finished in another. And as he went, as he wrote that through, I'm sure that he came to the conclusion, as we can come to the conclusion, and here's our big idea that we want to have close to our hearts to be able to both encourage us, but also to encourage others, and that's God is as far from us as we make him. God is as far from us as we make him. And the idea there is that God is always there. God is always there, but sometimes we'll push him away. He may hide himself, but that doesn't mean that he is not there. So we're going to walk back through and we're going to see these stages of David's lament and see what God has to say through it. See how God will show that lament isn't merely just a showing of emotion, but a wrestling through deep pain and uncovering truth. So back to verse 1. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Are you going to forget me forever? 
he asks. How long will you look at the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? So we see this guy and he's broken. He's suffering. He, our writer David, it's King David is writing and, and he's feeling what? He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling ignored. He's feeling as though God has turned his back on him. He's struggling with anguish in his soul and sorrow in his heart. And it appears that this enemy is the reason. The enemy is unnamed. We don't know who that is. But God is silent to David's trouble. Have you ever been there? Feeling like the world seems to be conspiring against you or things are piling up or perhaps a loved one, someone you know, a family member, things just keep happening to them and you start to wonder why God, why are you allowing these things to happen? As many mistakes as David's made, as the problems that he has brought upon himself, he also lived in a time as a king where people were power hungry and trying to take the throne from him. And he lived in that time. Oh wait, that, that's kind of now time too, isn't it? It's, uh, there's even a, a TV series that, that talks a lot about that, about people trying to get after a throne. But we live in a world and throughout history where people have not stopped from providing ample reason to believe that we're capable of doing evil things. Sometimes when people take a throne, it's, it's because they are evil. They're taking it by force. But other times when that power is taken, it's, it's a displacement of evil. Somebody was on the throne that shouldn't have been there. And so they're taken. But time and again, people show themselves to be capable. Viktor Frankl, he was a, a Jewish survivor of the Holocaust. He wrote, so let us be alert, and he's talking to all of humankind. Let us be alert, and alert in a twofold sense. Since Auschwitz, and for those of you who know, Auschwitz was one of the, the Nazi death camps in World War II, where they would bring in and, and killed multiple thousands of people. Since Auschwitz, we know what man is capable of. We know what people can do. But since Hiroshima, and Hiroshima, of course, was one of the places where an atomic bomb was detonated and many more tens of thousands were killed. And since Hiroshima, we know what is at stake. So since Auschwitz, we know what people are capable of. Hiroshima, we know what is at stake. David, he knows what it's like to be chased and to be threatened by evil. But at this point... His problem seems to be that God isn't answering quick enough. And he says, turn to me. Turn and answer me. In verse 3, O Lord my God, restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. This is a man crying out. Pay attention to me, Lord. I need you right now. And that sparkle in my eyes that he wants, another translation reads, light up my eyes, Lord. Light up my eyes. And the idea is similar to Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verse 18, where he writes, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light 
so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. See, David, he's crying out for that confidence. He wants God to renew his faith, to strengthen it again. David hasn't given up on God, though he wonders at God's silence. Why are you silent, God? You see, he's acting now like God is actually close to him, whereas before he was behaving as though God was distant. Did God change? No. No, he didn't. Yet David's call out, he's calling out, but he's expecting an answer. And you can read the change in tone as we go on. Verse 4, don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. <laughs> don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Because for David, that's what he's used to, his enemies saying, rescue me, God, he cries out. And you can note the confidence in God's capability. He's not accusing God of not being there, nor that he's incapable of doing what he asks. He's just asking him to do it. See, I played baseball this spring, uh, two-pitch, actually, with some good old Agassiz folks. And I had a blast. It was great. The team that I was on was wonderful. They were really... Uh, there's a, a big thing of optimism, right? Everybody was always thinking the best and... and had this optimism that the next person up was going to do what they're going to do, right? Get the hit or, or score the run or, or whatever, unless, of course, the wind caught it and it went over my head, right? The wind. It was, it was, it's always the wind's fault. But otherwise, there was optimism in the team that, that people were going to do what they are supposed to do. We cheered each other on. We assumed the best in one another, that we always wanted to do the right thing. David's optimism goes there, but it also goes much, much further than that. David is certain that God can do what David is asking. He's certain. There's not a speck of doubt that God can deliver him. His issue is whether or not God will deliver him. And that's an entirely different question. Because remember, just because God doesn't do something, it doesn't mean that he can't do something. Verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. And this part right here is exactly why God in another place calls David a man after his own heart. A man after his own heart. Because David may not always start in the place of faith, but David typically usually finishes in a place of faith. He doesn't, need to God, he doesn't need God to rescue him from this peril that he finds himself in because he understands that God has already rescued him from the worst thing for him, and that's himself. That's his own sinful, rebellious ways against God. He's already pulled him from that, and that's all that matters. And because of that, as he remembers that, it's able to give him perspective. Again, Viktor Frankl, who witnessed arguably the most horrific treatment of people in the history of humankind, he writes, forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. You cannot control what happens to you in life, 
but you can always control what you will feel and do about what happens to you. So here David has chosen to trust God. He's come full circle, but that's not all. Verse 6, the pinnacle, I will sing, he says to the Lord, because he is good to me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. He's come from questioning that God is even there to I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. This, friends, is the journey of spiritual discipline. This is, the, this is David wrestling through his doubt in the domain of laments and coming through the other side. This is making an intentional decision to worship God, and in this sense, both through song, but also through obedience. See, sometimes we need to push ourselves towards God, even when everything else around us seems to be pulling us away from him. You may have heard of a gentleman by the name of Dan Anderson. He was, uh, I read an article about him in the Abbotsford News online uh, the other day, and a number of months ago, he walked into the woods, uh, a wooded area in Abbotsford, with the idea of killing himself. He wanted to commit suicide, and so he went in and he, he tossed his belongings, uh, walked uh, three quarters of a mile into the woods, and then climbed a tree about 50 feet up, and then he jumped. But he, did, he didn't die. He, he broke his back and, and uh, some other things and, and was pretty, or he knocked himself out and then woke up, surprised that he was still alive. So he was paralyzed. He was in fairly dense bush. He was way off the side of the road. He tried calling for help. Someone thought they heard him, but then figured they were mistaken because he passed back out again. It took him three days to pull himself out to a point where he could yell again and the person, the original person, heard him again and then this time called 911. And the police came and searched for hours and couldn't find him and were about to give up when at the last minute they found him. And they were able to get him out in this incredible story of, of strength and uh, using a backboard and, and to get him out. It was amazing. Strangely enough, this brush with death gave this once suicidal man, a new lease on life. It gave him a new desire to live. And some of you have heard my testimony, you know that I had a similar experience, except it wasn't nearly as painful as what this poor guy had to go through. But listen to this quote that he says. Life is a beautiful disaster, and you have to take the good with the bad. If you're in a bad moment, just know you're going to get through it. It's a guy who crawled three days with no food and water. Like, he doesn't get too much worse than that. He says, if you're in a bad moment, just know you're going to get through it. Crawl if you have to. Crawl if you have to. If you're experiencing doubt about who God is, about whether he's good or not, or if he's even there, I encourage you to keep crawling. Keep moving towards him. If you feel far from God, or that if you feel he's far from you, I'm telling you, David is telling you he's not. Keep crawling towards him. See, God is as far from us as we make him. God is as far from us as we make him. 
But how do we, or people that we're trying to, to walk through this with, do that when the urge to walk away or hide or stop caring is so strong? There's a reason so many people, when they experience doubt, decide just to walk away because that's where we're being pulled. I have one thing to say about that, and that's when it comes to God, the most important thing that we need to remember, the one thing that we need to remember is that, are you ready for this? He's God. I know it's, it's, it's quite simple, but it's very profound to be thinking about. That when we think about God and we think about what he's capable of, if he is truly God, then he is worth the benefit of the doubt. He's worth trusting. He has all of the information, not just part of the story. He knows everything about the situation, about our circumstances, about why things are happening. He knows the outcome of every decision that could possibly be made. He is the bearer of all of this. And so if he's allowing something to happen, and he is God, so necessarily he is good. As David says, that we need to trust that. It's like when you're reading through the book of Job and Job was no stranger to suffering and after he got finished questioning God's motives, looking to the creator of the universe and saying, I know better than you. God had to turn around and ask him, where were you when I created everything? And then by the end of those 64 questions, Job understood exactly who it was that he was talking to. And his doubt was taken away. See, this is why we want to have faith. We want to trust God has good reason to allow things to unfold the way they do because he is good. We want to trust he has a good reason to answer our prayers with a yes or a no or even with what we perceive as silence. Why? Because he is good. I I really love this proverb It reads, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Just as Viktor Frankl said, we can choose how we see our circumstances. We can choose how we look at one another when someone does something that we don't understand. We can choose how we look at God when he does something that we don't understand. See, God may not pull us out of a bad situation, but if we're put our faith in him, and if you haven't, I really hope you'll consider it, he's already put you into the best situation possible, and that's in relationship with him. See, that journey of of doubt and lament, it can actually be such a blessing. It's one of those severe mercies that God gives us to be able to wrestle through and to use as an avenue of discovery So at the end of the day, just back to that poll that we mentioned earlier, spiritual doubt can be a powerful and formative experience, strengthening and bolstering our faith. More than half of those who have wrestled with doubt, so over 50%, 53%, the time spent asking honest questions about what they believe about their religion or God, it actually made their faith stronger. I know for me and for for many, many others, that intentionally engaging with what we didn't know 
instead of walking away from it, actually built up our faith, helped us come to church and grow a strong faith because God wasn't actually that far from us after all. See, the challenge then is for us as a community here at Central and Lake Arock is to always seek to be a community that doesn't get freaked out by people's doubts when people want to wrestle with them, but instead engages and, and talks them through, hears them. And if and when we doubt or we find ourselves angry with God, we just need a little help from our friends, don't we? So let's be ready. Let's be ready as a community. As we explore these topics over the next number of weeks, we're going to be learning a lot of neat things about God and about some of the things that are bothering many people in our midst. So as we do that, let's dig in. Ready to help a friend in need or ready to open up when doubt strikes. Can we do that? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this time of thinking. This time where we can quiet our hearts a bit and read through your word, read about David and his own struggle with his faith. Struggling through his understanding of who you are and, and your goodness. But Lord, thank goodness that he came out the other end knowing who you are, singing to you, and knowing that you're good. Your love is unfailing, Lord. Sometimes it's really hard to see that. And so we also appreciate, Lord, that you are patient with us, that you love us, and that you're willing to allow us to work through these things together, to, to get upset, to cry, to cry out, to be confused, to laugh, to do all these different things as we explore our faith, as we explore relationship with you. So help us take it seriously, Lord. Help us take that seriously because we know that the deeper we are in you, the deeper we will be able to love those around us. Thank you, Father, for all you do for us. Quicken these to our hearts as we sing how great you are. Amen.